Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Matthew, and I'll be doing the scripture reading for today, which comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to, his, to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord. Great to be back in person for those of you who are here today and for those of you online, welcome. Uh, we're continuing our series in Genesis and so today we're in chapter 4 with the story of Cain and Abel and then next week, Pastor Paul, who just led worship, will be tackling the story of Noah and the flood. So like I said, we're not going to be going chapter by chapter but kind of story by story so uh, Pastor Paul has uh, the privilege of preaching through like, uh, what, four or five chapters there. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> just to let you know, um, my wife and I will be on vacation uh, starting this Tuesday through the following Monday. So we'll just be zooming in online and, and experiencing the online worship in that community. Well, focusing on this chapter today, the, the way of Cain, as I titled the message, um, we see that Cain got angry in this passage. And have you ever been a time where you experienced that you were so angry that you started to like smash things and throw things and yell and scream and grunt? Maybe like, you know, the Hulk, you know? <laughs> Maybe you even turned green a little bit or, or red in the face uh, while you were doing these things and losing it. Um, or, have you ever been so angry that you did something like this guy? I guess the video's not going to work. I embedded it. Yeah. Okay. 
So I can tell you, this guy's sitting at the desk there. He's sitting there, and he starts banging on his keypad, and then he, he starts like hitting the, the monitor, and you see it's an old cathode ray monitor, so this is a while ago. And then he gets upset, and while he's doing that, the other people behind him are like looking up over the cubicle saying, what is this guy's problem? And then this guy gets up suddenly and he leaves the camera scene. And he leaves, and then in about 30 seconds, he comes back with this sledgehammer, and he goes back into his office, and he just starts wailing on his computer and just busts it up into pieces. Meanwhile, all the people around him are like peeking up, looking at him, starting to call like security or something like that. And then, uh, and then the screen goes to blank, and it says... Uh, something like frustrated, angry, get Lenovo, and, and talks about you know being angry with your computer, and it's a it's a commercial actually, but uh, this guy lost it obviously, and I think this is real footage. Uh, I don't think they staged it for the camera. Uh, why was Cain so angry here in this text? We see uh, was God playing favorites as we see like he favored. Abel and didn't favor Cain. Was Cain being discriminated against for some reason? Was he facing injustice? Is that why he was angry? Did Cain have the right to be angry? Well, Cain's anger, we'll see here, is a symptom of something much deeper that's going on inside Cain. And we will see that the main issue of these verses of chapter 4, 1 through 16, is really a matter of worship because they are making these offerings to the Lord God. They're worshiping, an act of worship. And what was the difference in their offerings that God looked upon them with favor on one and without favor on the other? Uh, The difference you see was right worship and wrong worship. Abel's worship and Cain's worship. And we'll see in the first six Books, well, we see this in the first six books of the Old Testament that it was common to build an altar out of rocks and then on that altar to offer these burnt sacrifices of either animals from their flocks or uh, from their harvest, the plants or the, the wheat, grain, whatever they harvested, they would burn that as well as an offering to the Lord God. It was an act of worship. And, and why did people think to do this kind of act? How did they think of this? Well, as we saw in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, there it teaches very clearly that God is the creator of all things. And so the people of that day understood this and that ultimately everything that they received from God, their their animals, their harvest, the things that grew, were from God himself. And so they wanted to offer some of that back to him in this way as an act of honoring him, of showing that he is worthy, and so they would trust him for whatever they're giving back, that he will continue to provide. It was an act of worship, and worship simply means to designate something as having great value, worth, so we could almost say giving something worth, like you are worthy, and then we worship, we bow down, we show them that they are important by the way we act and treat them. And from this story of Cain and Abel, God teaches us that worship really is a matter of the heart, as uh, we sing in some of our songs often. Worship comes from our heart attitude. It's not dependent on what we give, in a sense. God is able to see clearly the state of your heart and my heart 
at all times. And he can see right into our hearts and our minds and what we're thinking and feeling when we do the things we do. And we learn this and we see this in verses 3 through 5, which say, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, notice it wasn't the offerings that God was looking at only, right? It was the men who offered, made the offerings that God was looking at. And we see this in the text where it says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The Lord seems to distinguish between the one, I mean, he does not distinguish between the one making the offering and the offering itself. It's the two are in the, the same to him because he can see into our hearts. Notice some clues in the text on how Cain and Abel differed. Um, yeah, he, he makes this regard, uh, he accepts one and he doesn't accept the other. So let's look at how they differed. Verse 3 says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil. So Cain was, he, he planted things and he grew things. So it could have been wheat or barley or oats or whatever that he grew. And so he would harvest some of that and he brought it. Um, and it seems to imply here that there was nothing special about this offering or the timing of the offering of when Cain offered this to the Lord. Um, because it just says in the course of time, Right? But Abel's offering was, we see, from the firstborn of his animals. And that's significant because the firstborn means like it's the first time that this animal gives birth to another uh, calf or whatever it is. And so, it, and you take that and you offer it to the Lord. So you, you're giving it away. So you're assuming and trusting in the Lord then out of an act of worship that he will continue to provide in that way. And then it also says, it's the fat portions. So it's the best portions of, from the firstborn that he is offering. So there's these indications that Abel's offering was special in that sense. It was his offering the, from the best of what he, uh, God had given him through the, the raising of his animals. And Abel was, had specifically picked out his best to offer to the Lord God. But we must not misunderstand that that whether or not God favors, uh, has favor on us or not, or on our offerings, it depends on what we actually give him. Um, it, it doesn't, it's, no, the Lord looks at the quality of the heart that is giving the offering, which in many cases does tie into what we choose to give. But it's really the heart that he looks at. For example, when I was growing up, I noticed when uh, people would plast, pass the offering plate around um, or offering bag. Uh, and, you know, I was a kid, usually in service I was bored, and so I would just kind of watch. You know, most people don't like to watch what other people put in, but I watched. I, I was very closely watching what the adults were doing around me. And oftentimes there's a big difference. There's two types of people. One was they were ready, and the plate came to them. They just, like, had the check ready or whatever, and they just put it in the plate, and boom, done. So in that sense, they had obviously 
thought about it. They were intentional. They had maybe prayed about what they decided to give, and they wrote the check ahead of time, and they were ready, and they just gave it. But then there were the other people where as the plate started to be passed around, they were like scrambling, you know, like get the wallet out and they look in there and they're like trying, you could see that they were trying to figure out from what they had, how much would they give and then they would give it in and it was always a rush, you know, there's always this rushing when the offering plate or uh, bag went around. And so the, really they had not given any much prior thought of what they would offer to the Lord. And I, I observed this pattern weekly as a kid I always thought that was kind of the most interesting part of the service. <laughs> now here it comes. <laughs> See what people do. Oh, that guy did the same thing he did last week. You know, that kind of thing. It's really bad as a kid, right? Watch that. But, well, this is one reason why at Cornerstone, our community, we don't pass the offering bag or the offering plate. Because uh, we want people to, we encourage people and ourselves to be intentional, to think ahead, to pray about what are we going to give to the Lord um, and so we do this by just having this offering box. And if you didn't notice, it's right at the back to the left of the door. And, and every place like the chapel and the other building where the Cantonese congregation worships, they also have an offering box. And so we just say, you know, whenever the Lord, uh, you determine, you just put it in there. Nobody's going to remind you every week. Nobody's going to conjole you that you need to give to the Lord, you know. And if you don't, your bad things are going to happen to you or whatever, which, you know, isn't really in the scriptures. But, I mean, well, if you don't give anything to the Lord, then you're just not following him. And so ultimately, you're going to end up in a bad place, you know, in that sense. But we're not to do that. And, and even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul encourages in this way, saying in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man or each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver, like Abel, just giving cheerfully from the best what God has given us. You know, right worship is giving God our best. And, uh, Whoops. Whoa, hey, what's going on there? <laughs> Something happened. Just take me back to the, uh, uh, to the Hebrews 11.4 passage, if you can. Yeah, Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings... And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel offered the best that he had, he, his firstborn, the fat portions of the firstborn animals as a gift to God that flowed from his heart. This is right worship, and he loved to please God by giving from the best of what God has given him. And the Apostle Paul wrote also in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, saying, so we make it our goal to please him, meaning God, whether we are at home or in the body or away from it. So right worship is having that goal that in all of life, we want to please God in everything we do. And it just flows from our heart because we love God because of what he has done for us. So we can ask these practical questions to ourselves and the things that we do. Like, uh, do we do our homework to please the Lord? Or are we doing it just to please the professor? Who are we trying to please? Our, so our homework can be an act of worship by the way we do it. 
Uh, do we do our job to please our boss or do we do it to please the Lord God? Because he's really the one we work for. Uh, do we clean our room to please the Lord or exercise to please the Lord? Or are we exercising, working out to please the other sex so we look more attractive, right? What, when we do things to please the Lord, then that is an act of worship. Uh, do we have relationships with others to please God? We truly worship the Lord God when everything in our life we see is a gift from Him and that we then do those things to please Him. And then we are worshiping Him, worshiping Him in everything we do. See, the bottom line is that God saw something in Cain's heart that was unacceptable to Him. So He did not show favor on Cain's offering. And the application for us is that we can't just put money in the offering box and think that everything's going to be okay because I gave the offering today. You know, it's like almost in the sense like I did my devotions this morning. I'm good with God because I did my devotions, right? No, if we're thinking that way, we're going to be like in the way of Cain, the way Cain did it, and we would be wrong worship. Uh, do we think God really needs our money? No way, not at all. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? He doesn't need your bucks, your money, right? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your time, your effort, your service. He doesn't need you at all, one little bit. No. What God wants is your heart. He wants your passion for him, your love for him. He wants all of our heart. His greatest commandment to us was to love him with all our heart and soul and mind. Are we just going through the motions then saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian pretty much on Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday, I'm going to do my own thing or do, you know, do my job the way I want to do it, please my boss, get that promotion, get that extra money, save up for retirement so I can do my thing in retirement. You know, that's the goal, right? Um, but where's God in that picture? He's not. So why are we living life? What are we doing? Are we coming here just to feel good? that we're doing the right thing? Or are we doing it to please the Lord God? He wants our hearts and our best, like Abel gave on that offering. For example, let's take something practical that those of us here, and hopefully at home, if you're watching this, that we sing to the Lord, the praises. That's why we play songs and we want to sing together, but singing praises to God. Um, we may not be able to sing on tune, like me, if I tried to sing a song to you guys, I might hit the tune 50% of the time, and then I might stray if I'm just doing a cappella. If it was with music, I'd do better. And if I, somebody was standing beside me, like Pastor Paul or somebody, I'd like, hit the tune, nail it all the time because I'm just following him, right? But if, I can't really hold the tune. And so we may not be able to sing a tune. We may be maybe embarrassed to sing out loud. Um, in front of others. We may even not like to sing. But God wants us to sing praises to him. The scriptures say this in Psalm 33.1. They say, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. When we gather as his church and we have this special time of singing praises to God together, and for those of you online as well, singing and joining us here to sing as his church, as his people, as his family. It's very special because we're offering to the Lord our voices that he has given to us. 
Now, some of us may be awesome singers, as I know some of you are. And some of us, like me, are kind of struggling singers and, and maybe off-tune and maybe terrible singers, you know? Um, we can lead others off-tune, too, if we're singing loud enough, right? Um, but to the Lord, it doesn't matter because He just wants us to offer what we've been given to Him with a heart full of thanks. And that's what He cares about. Now, the problem is if some of us sing really well, right, oftentimes we will sing for others rather than for the Lord God, knowing that others are going to give us a good pat on the back <laughs> when we sing really well. Um, but, oh, that's, uh, there we go. But on the other hand, if we sing really bad, then we may not want to sing out loud very much either or sing be quiet because, again, we're singing for others rather than for God himself because we don't want others to look at us and say, whoa, man, this guy's horrible, you know. Who are we singing for? And so that's why God just wants us to sing it out, sing his praises together when we're all together with our hearts on him. So the danger is that we do these things for others. I guess I'm missing a slide there. Um, as God did with Cain, his Holy Spirit will convict us of sin in our lives. And we see this with Cain. Uh, even if it's sin we don't, we're not aware of, that existed at that time. And God will expose it, this whatever it is, this bitterness or this feeling self-pity for ourselves or selfishness or lust. And it'll probably be very embarrassing and humbling when he exposes this sin in our lives. And we may respond in two ways. The first being saying, Lord, you nailed it. You're, you're absolutely right. You nailed the, the nail on the head. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Enable me to be better by the power of your spirit to overcome this sin. And that's what Job did. If you know the story of Job and the last or near the end of the book in chapter 42, Job humbled himself before God. Or the other way we could respond is to get angry and lash out in frustration. Like that's what Cain did. He was super angry in verse 5. Remember, it said he was very angry. And why was Cain angry? What was his problem? God asked Cain this very question, if you remember, in verses 6 and 7. How come I'm not? Oh, wow. Okay, there we are. Sorry, I was off track. Verse 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you, did, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The image here is that sin is like this dangerous animal, like a lion or a tiger that's crouching. If you've ever seen a cat crouch right before it pounces, they wiggle their butt, it seems like, and then they just jump out and they get get whatever they're going after, right? That's the, the image here that he's using. It's crouching at his door, ready to make the kill. And sin desires to have you and me to control us, to rule us in this very real sense. And that's why Jesus said in chapter, John chapter 8, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin literally is our master if we are not following Christ in faith. Because he sets us free from that master of sin. So after this personal attention and advice that the Lord gives to Cain, 
I mean, it's like face-to-face talking to this with Cain. This special time with God. What does Cain go and do? Well, Cain acts out in his anger, and he murders his brother. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 speaks of this, saying, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Think of it. Cain went from making an offering to God in worship to murdering his brother. And what this means is wrong worship leads to wrong actions. I mean, the two go to hand in hand, and that flip is the same thing. Right worship leads to righteous actions because God is then in us and we are following him. So wrong worship is giving to God, expecting something back. Is that what we do? That we give an offering to God and we think, okay, God, I did this for you, so that means you're going to give me some payback, right? (laughs) You're obligated to be nice to me now because I I gave you something, you know? I did what you wanted, so you got to give me something back. And this is the way of Cain. Cain was expecting something back. When he saw that God did not favor his offering, was he remorseful? Was he like, oh, what did, what did I do wrong? Why didn't, why didn't you like it, God? Tell me. No, he was very angry because he did not get what he thought was his due. Hey, if he showed favor to my brother Abel, he should show favor to me. What's wrong with that? You know? What's wrong with God? What's up with him? You know? and, and so he was super angry. Jude 11 Jude only has one chapter, so we don't say the chapter because it's useless, so we just say the verse. Jude 11 describes people with wrong worship saying this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. In a sense, I do this to get something back. This is the wrong worship that is we see in Cain. This is the way of Cain, and it kind of rhymes, right? The way of Cain is worshiping for gain, right? The way of Cain is gain. And Cain became angry because he didn't get what he thought was due to him. He, so he rejected the Lord's advice. He murdered his brother. He denied knowledge and responsibility for his own brother and for his crime, and then he protested the punishment for it, right? It's crazy. After Cain murdered Abel, God approached Cain again And look at verse 9. He says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That question, am I my brother's keeper? This question, this really is a question dealing with our worship of God. For how we are or are not our brother's keeper is an issue of right worship or wrong worship. The idea of keeper is to guard, to watch, to protect, to oversee. But it doesn't mean we take over uh, the ownership of what others should be doing for themselves. In a sense, how do we be our brother or sister's keeper? In a sense, well, it's not that we enable people to continue doing wrong or to cover up for them uh, by lying for them. Um, so they don't get in trouble. Um, We do not do for people what they should be doing for themselves. This is not being our brother or sister's keeper. Sometimes parents will do this, 
to, they don't allow their children to grow up because they try to protect them from failing or making mistakes. So they make the decisions for them. They tell them what they should do all the time, even up until through high school. And, and they're just trying to think that they're, they're being their keeper of their children, but actually they're not. Um, they're not letting them make decisions on their own. Some people think that they are being their brother's keeper by continually giving advice. Um, and, and we are not to be our brother's keeper in this sense. And no. In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39, Jesus gave us the guidance on what he meant and in the context of the first and greatest commandment of how, what does it mean to be the brother's keeper? And he said there, in response to a question that was asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is our neighbor? Well, the neighbor is the people in our lives. Anybody that we come in contact with, that is our neighbor who crosses our path. That's our neighbor. Uh, the way we love our neighbor is an expression of the worship we have for the Lord God Almighty, the love we have for the Lord God Almighty. His love flows into us and enables us to love him. He loved us first so that we now can love him. And in that love for him, we love the creation that he created, and that means you and me, our fellow brothers and sisters. And, and this is the whole concept of being our brother and sister's keeper is loving them in the way that God loved us. So the way of Cain may manifest itself in us um, in murderous acts like Cain or a denial of responsibility for our neighbor, not loving him or being our brother's keeper, and, and a refusal to accept the punishment that we deserve. Uh, for Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can, I can bear. With an, what an overwhelming statement of and sense of misery that shows in his heart. But, on the other hand, notice there's no sign of remorse or acknowledgement of his need for forgiveness. He just is like, your punishment is too great, man. Can you, like, lessen it a little bit? I can't bear this, you know? Uh, and, and take note of God's approach to Cain this whole time, right? The Lord first did not look at favor on Cain's offering because of his heart. He saw Cain's heart. And so he inquired, he connected with Cain. He took initiative with Cain and asked Cain about his anger and gave advice on how to overcome sin. He warned him. That was an act of grace. And then, and then afterwards, after he killed his brother, he inquires about Cain's brother. He in, takes initiative again with Cain. And like we saw with Adam and Eve, he took initiative. He gives him the chance to confess his sin. But Cain doesn't. He doesn't take responsibility for his brother. And so Cain is judged for his sin. And then God marks Cain as a warning to anybody else who thinks that they're going to be in the way of Cain now and murder Cain for getting revenge on killing Abel. He says, no, no, this has got to stop. So he marks Cain. He says, any of that, you know, don't touch him. God protected Cain even though Cain had rejected God. This is God's grace. God is a gracious God. Even when he's dealing with our sin, we see it in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Now we see it with Cain. And we see it ultimately in Christ Jesus. Because he goes, the ultimate act of grace, 
where he takes the sin of all the world on himself, God in the flesh, and he takes the penalty and he covers that. And then he can show his grace to all mankind, past, present, and future, once and for all. Amazing grace. It just feels unfair sometimes. But it's totally fair because God has taken all the unfairness on himself. You know, am I my brother's keeper? Well, God answers with a clear, definitely, you are. <laughs> you are your brother's keeper. If you're on a train and a subway and you see somebody doing something to somebody else that they shouldn't be, saying words to somebody else that they shouldn't be, what do we got to do? We are our brother's or sister's keeper. We need to do something. Call 911, go to the, you know, the person on the train that has some authority, whatever. Or if you're you know, a man maybe and the woman's being picked on, step in, protect the woman, uh, even at our own risk. This is being our brother's or sister's keeper. Love, Jesus said, if you worship me, love one another as I have loved you. He gave his life for us. He also said, love your neighbor as yourself, second greatest commandment. He also said, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. He has compassion for those who are downtrodden and abused. And so when we evaluate our life, are we following the way of Cain, demanding some return for or gain for following Jesus? Or has the grace and love and truth of Jesus permeated our hearts and so moved us that we give our best out of trying to please God with our lives as an offering, not expecting anything in return? This is true worship. So answer this question. Why are you here today? Or why are you watching online? How would you answer that question? Uh, do you have a desire to know Jesus? Or are you here out of obligation? Or you just think like this is what I should do on Sundays because that's the way I was raised? Or whatever the reason. You see, when with the worship of Jesus permeates our life into everything we do, our work, our school, our families, the way we eat with people, everything, then that becomes true worship of God because we want to please Christ and follow and obey him. If you're listening today online or if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then we'd, I'd encourage you to ask questions. Anybody here present or if you're online, you can go to our, our website, click on contact, give us your name and your information and uh, a comment or a question and we would love to connect with you and talk more with you. The point today is the way of Cain is not the way to go. Jesus is the way. Matter of fact, he said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we here want to follow Jesus and encourage every one of you here and online to do the same. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know everybody's heart here, present, or listening online right now because you are the Lord God, creator of all things, and, and you see into our minds and our hearts where we're at. You know our struggles. You know our pain. You know our needs, whether they be financial or just plans for the future or relationship-wise or whatever. Health, struggle with 
children, whatever it may be, Lord, you know these things and you desire for us to experience healing and peace and joy when we turn to you in faith. But especially, Lord, you desire for us to experience your grace and forgiveness and redemption that you freely give at great cost to yourself. Lord, may each one of us be impressed today with your deep desire and love for us, your creation, and that want to have be reconciled with each of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.